Well, good morning, Aldridge, and it is lovely to be with you again. I have been uh, away for a little bit. Um, it's been a bit, a few dif difficult few weeks for me, but uh, I've been away and uh, I've come back feeling refreshed and uh, all is good, and I've missed you, so it's lovely to be back with you again. And uh, if we could have the slides on the screen, please, that would be great. And the, uh, we're continuing our sermon series on the book of 1 Samuel today. And 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings cover a period of time in Israel's history and as followers of Jesus, indeed, our own history that we're perhaps less familiar with. So it's really great to be able to spend some time uh, really digging into this text and asking what God wants to say to us today from uh, this particular period of time. And last week we looked at uh, 1 Samuel 7, and John spoke to us about what it means to be a repentant people, a people turned towards the Lord. And uh, if we were to look at the prophet Samuel and kind of really what characterized him, perhaps it was this. Throughout uh, Samuel's reign as judge of Israel, as leader of Israel, under the kingship of God, he brought the people of God back to God. And they stayed in that place throughout Samuel's lifetime. During this time, they're also facing the possibility of invasion from the Philistines. And uh, last week, in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 7, we had these verses. Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far has the Lord, has the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israel's territory again. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. So Samuel personifies this dependence on God. In fact, he exemplifies what it means to be part of the people of God. For uh, the people of Israel, with Samuel as their judge, they could look at Samuel and be reminded of what it meant for them to be the people of God. And throughout Samuel's lifetime, he continued to be judge of Israel. And it was a good time in Israel's history. And then we come to our passage today. And we've jumped several years. And Samuel is now an old man. And Israel is beginning to think about its future. And as it does that, some questions begin to arise about who they're called to be, about their identity, about what it really means for them to be the people of God. Before we get into that, as I was preparing this talk earlier in the week, I was reminded of something that happened to me a few years ago. When I started studying at St. John's College, Nottingham, if I had done my three years studying and then uh, gone on straight to a curacy, I would have been a year too young to be ordained. In the C of E, they have this very weird rule where you have to be 23 before you can be ordained. Another issue. And uh, I knew, therefore, that I had to do something with the year. And in my first year at St. John's, I began to get a sense that the Lord was calling me to work in the low, charismatic end of the Church of England. And at that point, I'd had very little experience of working in that sort of church. So 
after my first two years at St. John's, I decided to take a year out to work at a church in North London called St. Barnabas Woodside Park. And actually, my first two years at St. John's were difficult years for me. They weren't easy. And then I went to St. John's, uh, then I went to St. Barnabas and had this amazing year in London. I absolutely loved working for that church. And towards the end of that time, I had to begin to think about going back to St. John's. And the thought of it terrified me. I'd had this amazing year in London. And what made the thought of going back to St. John's even more difficult was the fact that St. John's had been hard and London had been good. And around that same time, I uh, began to uh, help with a new youth congregation that was starting in my church in Kent. And on the Sunday before I was due to go back to St. John's, I was speaking to these young guys about Abraham, the person of Abraham. And I was saying to these young guys, God gave Abraham all these amazing promises. He said to Abraham, you're going to have all these descendants. You're going to have all this land. And yet at this point in Abraham's life, nothing said that that would be the case. And uh, nevertheless, Abraham chose to believe God, and it happened as God said it would. And as I was saying these things to these young guys, I started to get a bit uncomfortable. Because as I was saying these things to these young people, God was challenging me as well. And he was saying to me, nothing of your experience of St. John's may suggest it be anything but awful. But nevertheless, I want you to trust me that I'm going to provide for you and bless you there. And it was like I had to say with gritted teeth, okay, Lord, I believe you, I trust you, it's going to be okay. And I went back to St. John's and it was as if I was walking back into a different college. I couldn't believe it. Every area where I felt God had spoken to me about, about St. John's, he provided for me. And I had to hold on firstly to my identity as a beloved child of God, who God would provide for, who God would protect. And secondly, I had to hold on to God's identity as the faithful one who would never leave me or forsake me. And what we see in our passage today is the impact of what happens when we're not secure in our, in our identity as the people of God. Of what happens when we're not sure about the character of God as good and faithful. What we have fundamentally in this passage today is an identity crisis in the people of God. Well, if we're going to understand this, uh, I, are we going to move on? We're not working. Nope. Can you move us on, please? Anyone? There we go. Oh, thank you. Great. You had a sneak preview there. There we go. 
if we're going to understand this crisis of identity in the people of God, then we need to know, firstly, who they were called to be and what they were called to do. And as I mentioned earlier, Samuel demonstrated what it meant to live life trusting God in dependence on him. If we were to skip back 300 to 400 years, we come across Moses as God leads the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt to a new land, the promised land, a new home for them, Canaan. And as God does that, he says this to them about their identity in Deuteronomy chapter 7, 7 to 9. God says this through Moses. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. This is who Israel was called to be. This is who God was to be to Israel. Israel, the jewel in God's crown, the focus of his affection and love. And in a sense, this was nothing to do with Israel themselves. They were not a mighty people. In fact, that passage says that they were a tiny and insignificant people. But God chose them simply because he loved them. And Israel was to be this nation that the surrounding nations would look to as an example of how to live life in dependence on God. That Israel would be a beacon of light to the surrounding nations. That Israel would be the people who would be hope in a world of despair. That they would be a holy people, a set-apart people, that they would be a nation unlike the nations around them. That they would be different because they belonged to God and because they submitted to the kingship of God. And now as the church, this is who we are as well. This is who we're called to be as well. This nation of Israel, this people of God, has extended to us. Now we are to be the beacons of light in the dark world. In our workplaces, it means that we are to be the people in whom a purity and love is found. If there's gossip in our workplaces, we're to be the people who will gossip good things, who will say about people behind their backs, good things about them, that we would pull out the gold. It means that we're to be the people of hope in a world of uncertainty. We prayed about Brexit and Trump versus Clinton. We're to be the people who believe in a sovereign God who has not given up on us, 
that we would bow the knee to King Jesus, knowing that he loves us freely, not because of anything we do, but simply by pure gift, and that we receive it with humble gratitude. This is who the nation of Israel was called to be. This is who we are called to be. Samuel demonstrated it. And with that as a very long introduction, uh, if you'd like to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 8, if you've not already got those open, and do follow along with me, please, 1 Samuel 8, 1 to 9. So, under Samuel's leadership as judge of Israel, under the kingship of uh, God himself, the people of Israel, up till this point, have been living out this identity. They've been fulfilling this calling on their lives. And Samuel has set up this stone called Ebenezer, saying, thus far has the Lord helped us. And the Philistines haven't invaded. And we arrive at our passage today. And we've skipped a few years. Suddenly Samuel is an older man and he's appointed his sons, Joel and Abijah, also as judges of Israel. And verse 3 of our passage says this about Samuel's sons. His sons did not walk in Samuel's ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. And with that, you can almost feel Samuel's pain. Samuel has seen this before. Samuel grew up in the home of Eli, Eli the priest, with Eli's sons, also priests, and also people who abused their positions of authority. In fact, it was Samuel himself, whilst a boy, who prophesied against Eli and Eli's sons. And now he sees his sons walking in the same direction. Heartbreaking. And for some of you here today, Maybe you too find yourself in a place where you see your children walking in a direction that's hard for you. Maybe they're walking into a place that, as far as you're concerned, is not the most healthy it could be. And perhaps you feel trapped because of that. Because on the one hand, you love them. You want the best for them. And at the same time, you know they're not in that place right now. And I don't have an answer for you there. But I think what we see in Samuel here is someone who knows that pain. Someone who's been there before. And I would love to encourage you today, if God's speaking to you about that, 
to go and get prayer for it. We have prayer every Sunday from communion through to the end of the service. Go and bring that before the Lord. Ask Jesus to intervene in that situation, to meet you and to meet your children. So Samuel's sons are abusing their positions as judges of Israel. And the elders of Israel come to Samuel and they say to him, You are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. And on the face of it, this seems like a very reasonable request. Samuel's sons clearly are not doing a good job of leading Israel. They still face the Philistine threat. The nations around them have kings to protect them. Why should they also not have a king to protect them? But the issue here is what the request implies. These are the elders of Israel who are making this request. These are the people who, with Samuel, represent the nation of Israel as the community of God. If there was anyone, apart from Samuel, who was to represent the nation as a nation submitting to God, coming under God, a nation unlike the other nations, this was those people And yet now they request a king other than God. In fact, what they're saying here is either these uh, surrounding pressures of the Philistines and uh, Samuel's wayward sons are greater than God's ability to save and rescue, or they're saying, we don't believe God will save and rescue. Either way, they question their identity, their fundamental calling, who they were called to be, who God was to them. And when those pressures of life begin to pile on, in this case it was the Philistines and Samuel's sons, for us it will be a whole host of other things. But when they begin to pile on, that's when the rubber hits the road in terms of faith. That's when it really shows whether we really believe what we say we believe. Either our faith is a life-changing faith that impacts us Monday to Sunday, Or it's a nice thing to do on a Sunday, but not a huge amount more than that. I love you all very much, but if it's the latter, I think I'd rather be somewhere else. And it does mean that at times we have some difficult decisions to make. 
for me when I was thinking about going back to Nottingham when I was in London, I could quite easily have given up. Why would I go back into a place, actively walk back into a place that I know caused me pain? But for me, either God was God and he was going to be faithful and good, or he wasn't. And I wanted to believe that he was the faithful one who loved me, who cared for me, who would provide for me. This is why the elders' request hurt Samuel so much. Because either the nation of Israel is the community of God, or it's not. Either they submit to God as king, being a nation apart from other nations, a beacon of light to the other nations, or they accept a king and go their own way, do life on their own. And Samuel brings this request to the Lord. He brings his pain to the Lord. And the Lord replies to him in verses 7 to 9. Listen to all that the people are saying to you. I love that. Clearly they're walking in the wrong direction. They're making the wrong decision. But God gives them the dignity of being listened to. When we listen to people, the dignity we give them, whether or not we agree with what they're saying, can change situations. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. I find it incredibly interesting that these questions of identity and security begin to emerge as Samuel steps back from leading Israel. How much of their security, their faith security, was in God himself? And how much was in Samuel? How much of our security when it comes to our faith is in church or Christian leader and how much of it is in God himself because unless our security is in God himself we see Jenga happen all over again I know some things that are happening in some of your lives at the moment but you will know more than anyone what's going on for you right now and maybe life is good for you at the moment Praise the Lord for that. And I know for others that are facing some serious pressures at the moment. I want to continually be growing in depth in my relationship with the Lord. That as I go through some of the storms of life, that I may hang on to him as the one who really is able to save me and deliver me. Unlike this community of Israel, I want to be part of a learning, 
growing community, one that is secure in their relationship with with the Lord, one that is secure in who God is to them, and that together we would hold each other up, that we would spur each other on, that we would be that community. Shall we pray together? Father, I want to thank you so much for Aldridge Parish Church and for the family that it is. I thank you, Jesus, for every person here, for the gifts they bring, for the person you've made them to be. And I thank you, Jesus, that everyone here is special and unique, that you love them dearly. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will be this community that submits to you, that bows the knee to you, that puts you above every other and any other. Thank you that you love us freely. We worship you today. Amen.